Hello everybody. The title of this message is Considering Everything. There's no question that God is binding us together as a community of believers at this time. Winding our way around the 2020 theme of There is a River is us. Um, there seems to be a yearning from God for us to connect with each other. Two weeks ago, Josh added this. He said that community is at its healthiest when we are healthy as individuals. Have you ever been on a flight? Now, I have. And just before the wheels leave the tarmac, the safety briefing comes. And it will always include this. If the cabin air pressure changes dramatically, oxygen masks might fall from the ceiling directly in front of you. If a child is seated beside you, put on your own mask before helping to put a mask on the child. Now I've heard that many times and it still doesn't feel quite right. Um, shouldn't the child come first? Well, apparently not. Apparently, if we are to be of any use to that child, we need to make sure that there's oxygen in our lungs first. So this week, I want to come alongside our growing sense of community with a focus that's more on us as individuals and particularly on our capacity to fill our lungs with fresh air or to self-nourish. While we are responsible individually for our spiritual growth and for our physical well-being, we are also responsible for the nourishment of our soul. And that's where I want to touch down. Because a well-nourished soul produces emotional and mental well-being, and they are imperatives during this strange time. They're good at any time. A focus on self-nourishment is not self-absorption. Um, it's certainly going to require a moment or a season of being self-aware, aware of the world around us. Um, and that's why I've chosen the title, Considering Everything. Why might we need to bring self-nourishment of our soul under the microscope? Well, last week, Josh spoke about being weighed down by the expectation of others. He said, having things put upon us by people who strain and stagger under their idea of what righteousness looks like, particularly a heavy sense of religion. And never has that yoke been heavier than when religion stands as a kind of a watchdog against the enrichment of our souls. I'm going to attempt the briefest overview of history that might explain how this could possibly happen. The Great Period of Reformation was about 500 years ago. A couple of hundred years later, there was a sweeping revival and significant in it were the brothers John and Charles Wesley. Um, from them came what we would know as the Methodist Church. Um, particularly in North America, Methodism um, embraced or wound around uh, the development of what was called the Holiness Movement. This movement was very careful to live, um, to create people who focused on personal holiness, particularly in the area of thought and deed. Now, do you remember me saying some weeks ago that truth taken to extreme is error? Uh, as the decades passed, that genuine hunger for personal holiness deteriorated into a lot of rules, imposed rules about appearance, particularly the appearance of women. 
um, about relationships, about how people were to occupy their time. It moved from the freedoms of inner holiness to the bondage of these invented legalisms, many of which were actually the antithesis of how Christ himself conducted his behaviours when he was on earth. Then the Pentecostal revival came and it largely broke out of those holiness churches. Uh, while it created heightened spiritual awareness and even spiritual freedoms, it never really broke through what were now deeply held convictions about the perceived dangers of being alive to your senses or even alive emotionally, of the joy of learning something other than the Bible. And so when Josh spoke about being weighed down by a heavy sense of religion, that history is somewhat responsible. Well, is there a list of things we can and can't do? Of course there is. It's called the Ten Commandments. Uh, we could also read the epistles, Proverbs. Um, we can find a lot of uh, instruction through the word about what is beneficial and not beneficial for us as we live the Christian life. And we are to be still spirit-led. The indwelling spirit of God is our illuminativa. He provides illumination to our understanding, to our consciences about what is beneficial and what is not. So to be clear, to be self-nourished, to consider everything is not code for anything goes. Yet Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse 18 that God has given us richly all things to enjoy. And Jesus himself said, I've come to give you life, and it's not just ordinary life, it's abundant life. And there's even a sense by implication that he was saying, a life to excess. I had to learn this, and my beloved in heaven, he knew that I had to learn this. So I kind of think the story I'm about to tell you is, was nearly um, a setup by my beloved. So we lived in Canberra for five years, about um, 40 years ago, and uh, the art gallery had just been built. So when people came to visit us, I would take them to the art gallery. In the little church where we attended were the most beautiful couple who I named to honour, Doug and Nancy Connolly. They were retired, and I had the great privilege of getting to know them enough to be able to lean into just the sense of who they were. They were quiet and humble and learned and gracious and elegant. And they were friends of the art gallery. So I guess they could take people on tours and so on, friends of the art gallery. So when I would take my friends to the art gallery, there'd usually be a conversation I needed to have with Doug afterwards, particularly the first time I saw Jackson, Poles, Jackson Pollock's Blue Poles. And um, in my ignorance of 40 years ago, I'm ashamed to say it was kind of like, there you go, Doug, give me a canvas and a couple of buckets of paint. Um, I hope I've improved a little bit from there. But there was this one time I took some friends and came around a corner and there was a canvas, I swear, blank, with black vertical lines going that way, as vertical lines do, and horizontal lines. That was it. So if ever poor old Doug had had a head of steam from me about Jackson Pollock's blue poles, imagine what he got on this one. You know, give me a canvas and a black texture. When I'd finished my little rave, 
Doug said in a very quiet voice, and if I close my eyes, I can see him and I can hear the timbre in his voice with such gentility. He simply said, oh, that will be from the Canadian geometric period. Um, I don't know, it's, it was like that one sentence began a slow sunrise in my soul because I realised that I was so impoverished in my soul that I wasn't even prepared to give the poor old Canadians a geometric period. We can't nourish our souls when we are afraid to breathe or when we're busy judging how others breathe. So as God began to chip away my Pentecostal rigidities, so he opened up Psalm 8 to me. Let me read you Psalm 8, and I'm reading it out of the NIV. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. From the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honour. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all flocks and herds and the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea and all that swim the paths of the seas. Isn't that magnificent? And then he finishes as he began, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This is one of David's psalms. It is filled with deeply spiritual insights and understandings, but right in the middle is a word that I have come to value. Verse 3 begins, when I consider. That Hebrew word means to see literally, that is a sense, and to see figuratively, that is in our imagination. 1,304 times the ancient writers have connected us to a word that is really a soul word. And when would David have had the greatest opportunities to let his sight and his imagination run riot? Surely it was when he was alone in the fields with his sheep, when he was in forced isolation. Somehow by the time he penned the song, he'd mastered the art of considering everything from the dark side of the human condition to the sovereignty of God to the intricacies of the natural world. His senses were alive, his imagination was alive, he saw the artistry of God, he observed the fruit of God's divine imagination and he didn't seem to lose any of that rich enjoyment by trying to figure out which bits were spiritual and unspiritual, which bits were allowed and which weren't allowed. Natural or earthbound considerations actually ushered in revelations about the character and capacity of God. He was observing the world around him and he accepted the Creator's invitation to him to enjoy that world. A rich soul 
will support an intensely healthy spirit. It will intensify the health of our spirit. So self-nourishing, whether bushwalking or stargazing, kayaking or crocheting, whether creating a fairy garden or browsing through a second-hand bookstore, whether they are little brief moments that I have when I can go to Bunnings and find the sausages are back on, thank you very much, or something that is far more time-consuming, how we nourish our souls and how we allow the right use of our senses to help that nourishment, it's going to differ from one person to another. But even in those differences, I think we mirror the creative expansiveness of God. Do we make self-nourishing our only focus in life? No. As with David, there's work to be done and battles to be won. Depending on what life is requiring of us, finding time to self-nourish might be challenging, but it is needed. If you'll indulge me to go back to the aeroplane picture for a moment, we don't want to wait until we're in a nosedive, hoping that somebody else will drop an oxygen mask in front of us before we fill our souls with life-giving nourishment. Whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, this COVID time has forced some redirections for most of us, and it's not over yet. If you are needing to make adjustments in your levels of self-nourishment for the sake of your soul, perhaps God wants to fill your lungs with fresh oxygen. Perhaps his invitation at this time is for you to consider everything. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, amidst the risks and the challenges of this strange season, give us the grace to be sensible about our physical and spiritual well-being and then through your own artistry may we learn in wisdom to nourish our souls in the precious name of Jesus amen by the way Jackson Pollock's blue poles is now insured for 350 million dollars I don't think a black canvas and a couple of buckets of paint we're going to cut it to you Till next time.